AVXL episode 158 was recorded on October 21st, 2021. Holiday shopping mayhem is go. Rob's found a sweet professional video monitor. Bowers and Wilkins drops a new Zeppelin. Hisense's dual cell, a dog pile of affordable audiophile headphones, and yet another subwoofer availability check. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly contribution makes this show possible. And heads up, our next Hangout for patrons is Thursday, November 28th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Keep an eye on your inbox. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I'm a little excited to be home because I'm not driving back from Colorado. Ooh, is that where you were? My eldest wanted to go back to visit uh, Great Sand Dunes National Park uh, for his birthday, so we did that, and uh, it was nice. Um, Very cool. It's... uh, yeah, it's it's really crazy to see this giant, insane, umpteen hundred foot high. It's probably a couple hundred feet high, but uh, it's uh, it's just beautiful. You know, we did some sandboarding, we did some hiking, we ate a lot of good food, we celebrated his birthday, and uh, it was nice. It was very nice. I was fortunate enough to uh, grow up in the central coast of California around a place called Pismo Beach, and that really cemented my appreciation for all things sand related be it the sports or the hiking or <laughs> just that it's just fun oh my goodness i am going to i've decided to do some work to uh, lower the interior noise level on my truck as a result of this last eight hour this last long eight hour day of driving uh, although we were in Tallgrass national monument or national preserve I have difficulty remembering uh, National Preserves and Monuments today. <laughs> I understand. Tallgrass National Preserve. Um, Tallgrass Prairie National Preserve, which is in Kansas, like a, a couple hours outside of Kansas City. But that's really amazing because it's, it's literally the kind of prairie that used to cover a huge swath of, of the central part of the, North America. And there's like 4% of it's remaining and a big chunk of it is at this national preserve, the Tallgrass Prairie National Preserve. So it's like chest high grass. Uh-oh. And you're just waiting for the bison to walk by. And this time there actually were bison out not too far from where we were hiking, which was really cool. Sounds like a good trip. It was a really good trip. Nice. Uh, I just want my truck to be quieter. <laughs> yeah, wearing so, earplugs. And one, being aware of how much noise you experience within a vehicle. Yeah. Especially, you know, your larger modified off-road Diesel vehicles. Trucks. With, yes, those in particular. <laughs> Towing trailers. You know, it might be worth it. Just grab a free DB meter app for your phone just to get a rough idea. Already of what ahead it of you. Is. I don't know what the laws are specifically against wearing earplugs when you drive, but it doesn't completely cut my hearing, but it knocks the, the harshness down. So Having spent I would several have to do thousand miles. Do not miles. take my legal advice. Let me put that up there right now. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're, yeah, I don't know about the accuracy. I don't know about the legality of it, but. Um, if I'm wearing... a passenger, no problem. But if I'm driving. I'm just going to walk away from this conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's so many useful things I have to say, but I'm going to stop right now. I will say I've been running. Uh... Oh, where did it go? Don't you love it when you're, uh, you have so many apps on your phone, you can no longer find anything you're looking for? Make it a point of deleting an app at least once a week. 
go through that list and pick the winner, quote unquote, and uh, away it goes. <laughs> well, there's two I've been playing around with. Decibel X is a decibel meter that runs on the iPhone, and um, there's also the, the NIOSH one. Both of those seem to be fairly consistent. Uh, decibel X does this really cool display of the decibel level at the free, at various frequencies. Lots to be learned there, but it is interesting to to see where most of the noise is coming from. And uh, I will be working, like I said, to reduce that inside of my truck. Shifting to uh, <laughs> more of our usual fare, as excited as you all are about the idea of me uh, reducing the noise level in the interior of my vehicle. I was looking at Sonos's website, checking out a price of something for a friend, and there is a ton of refurbished gear back up at Sonos.com, especially uh, the really good deals on the amp and the port. The amp is the super clean amplifier that you can use your own speakers with with Sonos. I own one of those. I love it. Port allows you to basically connect Sonos to your existing AVR amplifier. They have the Sonos Play 1, uh, the original Sonos uh, stand on the small speaker. A pair of those uh, is an excellent experience for listening. We have that set up in a couple parts of the house. Those are like $99 refurbished, which is about the cheapest way to get into a Sonos speakers. I bring all of that refurbished gear up because there are some unhinged bad prices on consumer electronics showing up on Amazon.com. In some cases, in excess of twice MSRP. Not so much for brands you only see on Amazon, uh, but more for mainstream consumer electronics brands. Uh, I saw some stuff from Sonos where they wanted like twice what Best Buy was selling it for. And this is going to be like a rude holiday shopping season, uh, probably on all for all fronts, but especially on the consumer electronics fronts. Like 55 and 65 inch LG OLED, like C1 OLED TVs, they're the same price on Amazon and Costco. Uh, as always, camelcamelcamel.com is your friend where pricing is concerned on Amazon because you can search for a product, either cut and paste a link, uh, the, the, the URL from Amazon in there, or search for the product name. And you will get a pricing history on that and see when it was cheapest, when it was most expensive. Uh, and I mention that also as we get closer to Black Friday, because oftentimes vendors will eliminate an old entry with a lot of pricing history and put a new entry with no pricing history. So you can't tell on camelcamelcamel.com how good or not good that pricing is. But So if you're, if you're thinking about uh, Black Friday shopping, start looking at your pricing now to get an idea how good the Black Friday pricing actually is. And while you're eyeballing your holiday purchases, don't assume Amazon has the best price because they often don't these days. Uh, best Buy has gotten very, very good on pricing. I've had good luck with B&H Photo, Adorama, and Micro Center. Uh, Costco and Sam's Clubs are worth checking if you have memberships there. With Newegg and Walmart, um, and to a lesser degree with Amazon, make sure you're actually buying, for example, from Newegg or Walmart. Uh, third parties might be great. They might suck. They might be running scams. I honestly trust Amazon sellers that fulfill with Amazon more than... Uh, than it depends on the item, right? Um, I've right. generally had okay experiences with non-Amazon fulfillment by third parties, but I've also seen some really random... Uh, not so much anymore, but a couple of years ago, there were some real problems on Amazon with, with third-party vendors that were... I'll just call them squirrely. Um, <laughs> Very true. Do your best to make sure what you're buying is actually in stock or clearly labeled as a pre-order. Because um, what really sucks is I've had this happen with a couple, you know, silly things like uh, 
LP manifolds for uh, uh, the RP. And yeah, it, it was, you know, it was, the, you know, they said it would be shipping tomorrow. I got no shipping notice. I called them. They're like, it's out of stock. We never know when it'll be back. Would you like to just leave the money with us till it eventually shows up? And I was right. like, no. Um, <laughs> no, gracias. Which, which, which got me amped up on like being, you know, being nervous about third party fulfillment because a lot of really random stuff is out of stock on all corners of, of, of shopping, not just in consumer electronics, not just TVs and speakers and stuff. Also, completely anecdotally, I'm feeling like Costco's usual giant pile of TVs by the entrance is a little less intimidating than usual. That might also be because we're not actually in the insane November holiday shopping season. Uh, I also realized I may have been at the, there's like three Costco's in St. Louis, and I might have been at the lowest rent Costco, uh, not the swankier, higher income neighborhood Costco. I'll have to nose around, but uh, I just, I just again, we, we said it a few weeks ago. You know, if you're thinking about buying anything for the home theater or audio headphones, start looking for it now because I think it's going to get really gnarly come November, December. Totally. Especially if you know or you have a very good idea of what the item is in question that you you really want. <laughs> do take a look and do it earlier than later if possible. Yeah. Although who knows? Maybe all the great deals will be in, you know, in December. I'm holding yeah. off to get a better deal on a new phone I want. So I'm kind of leveraging the upcoming Black Friday sales to hopefully uh, save a few hundred bucks. That's perfectly reasonable. Just, you know. I just hope the product's still there <laughs> or even still available. <laughs> Look, children, I got you each a sack of buckwheat for Christmas. Mm. Uh, healthy eating and solid bowel movements. Just what every young child wants under the tree. Um <laughs> Let's talk about ultra-fine 4K OLEDs before I talk more about digestion. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had the fortune of getting some hands-on time yesterday with the LG 32EP950-B. This is their Pro 32-inch 4K OLED monitor, RGB OLED, with a panel made by Japan OLED. My first impression right off the bat, it seems relatively affordable if you consider the world of five-digit price tags for quote-unquote pro video displays. $4,000 seems like a value. And after I calibrated it, I will say that it turned out superb. Especially if you're doing any kind of SDR or Rec. 709 work, this monitor is as good as I've seen any other display in terms of being able to recreate that kind of content super accurately. Now, this is an OLED and it's 4K, so it does have a native color gamut that is actually very close to DCI primary. So this could be something you would use for HDR, color grading, or even production. However, because it only can support up to about 400 nits of total light output, or at least that is the Visa spec rating for the display spec on this, uh, you might want something actually a little brighter in terms of actually doing HDR creation. But at the same point, it has just amazing color accuracy. Uh, you have that benefit of OLED technology where you get the perfect black and it's a nice thin lightweight display and it calibrates again, like I said, quite beautifully. And that to me was probably the most impressive. In terms of the visual error across every test I threw at this, they were all undetectable or within the, the margin of error for the reading itself. And it's pretty rare I come across a display that 
does all of that really well outside of the pro video displays that generally cost, you know, I, I recently worked on one that was a, a used LCD that was about $15,000. <laughs> I mean, granted, it was in mint condition, but still, uh, the price of these pro monitors can be quite expensive. But at, at four, I mean, grand, I've seen them in the twenty-five dollars to $30,000 range. Without um, a doubt. I remember some of the Sony ones that were just kind of like eye-screamingly expensive. But it's also, if you're, you know, if you're working on a movie that, Somebody's got two hundred thousand dollars into or two hundred thousand, two hundred million dollars into. <laughs> hey, two hundred thousand or two hundred million. Yeah, um, you know, suddenly that cost seems much more reasonable. The key is that when you're creating content like that, it, right. if you care about what you're doing, you have to have a display that's as close to perfect as possible. So when it gets right. distributed to the variety of TVs out there. You're hitting the targets you should, and you know your content is, and then it's up to the display manufacturers out there for the consumer side to provide a preset that consumers can enable to actually appreciate that properly. But either yeah. way, I was super impressed with the light output on this, even though I said it it's only rated up to that display HDR 400 spec. Uh, the color mapping, though, once you dialed it in with a profile or with basic calibration, just was fantastic. Uh, just absolute nice. delight. And... I look forward to checking this out a little bit more, maybe in the upcoming weeks. So I got to read this. Uh, this is my favorite introduction to a web page from a company about their television ever at this point. This TV is our moon landing, our Sistine Chapel, our first prize science fair project. Three years in the making. We're excited to introduce the first dual cell technology TV in the U.S. Um... So this is the Hisense U9G. DG, baby. If OLED is is about making the blacks as black as possible, this is like the 1080p lighting system behind the 4K TV that we saw oh so many years ago at uh, CES. Yeah, about three years ago, literally. And Oddly enough. <laughs> they are truly trying to go for that OLED black level, the, an infinite contrast ratio, literally. And by having that 1080p quote-unquote light valve behind a 4K screen, in essence, they're using all 2 million pixels of, a, of that 1080p screen to create controllable dimming zones. And that sounds very good on paper. And in practice, uh, I was checking out the review of Caleb Dennison over at Digital Trends, and he found it did a superb job in terms of managing things like common artifacts you would see on LCD TVs with their dynamic dimming systems in terms of halo artifacts or when you have a bright object on a dark background, you get a glow around it that is not in the video. It's just a response of the TV and its layers. This is really doing something to address that directly in terms of being able to, on a near per pixel basis, control the light output. The only downside I really saw with Mr. Dennison's review over at Digital Trends was the fact that while it did have superb contrast, the absolute light output was about a thousand nits in HDR. That's a little underwhelming for a flagship or a very premium LCD TV to say the least, especially when you consider it's $3,000 price tag for a 75 inch screen. I mean, other than that, I've, I found the review and the technology pretty compelling. But when you start talking 3000 bucks for a 75-inch screen, I am immediately considering OLED. <laughs> Which, while OLEDs generally don't hit 1,000 nits, they do hit about 750. You get true infinite contrast, the improved viewing angles, and everything else that goes along with OLED technology for that. 
this might be if you're in a particularly bright room where OLED's not going to do its best. Is this is this the right alternative, or do you think you wait for the next generation to see if they bring the pricing down on this? I'm willing to bet by around Black Friday this TV will become heavily discounted rather quickly. If they can even really do it without losing a lot of money, it would be interesting to know what the bill of materials mm-hmm. is for building one of these TVs with a dual cell system like it has. But for $3,000 for a thousand nits, it's just not for me. I, I would go so, back to OLED or I would step it up and go right to Samsung and get something with significantly more light output with even better image quality in the end. $3,000 on Best Buy, but it's not in stock anywhere. Oh, oh and that's even worse. $3,200. they are they're claiming it's a $3,700 and, uh, list price, and they have it uh, at Value Electronics for $3,200. And they're calling it a $3,000 TV, uh, but it is uh, unavailable nearby <laughs> when I look at it on Best Buy. So it also, they either sold out or uh, they're still getting supplies in. I guess my short answer or a shorter answer would be, hey, if you've got a bright room and you're typically watching TV in a well-lit environment, something like uh, an LCD from Samsung, especially their 4K or their premium 8K displays this year are some of the very best in terms of brightness, ambient light reflection mitigation, things like that, Uh, especially when you start talking a $3,000 unit, let alone if you have a well-controlled room and OLED's going to blow your freaking eyeballs out every time. It's just eye candy at its best. And you can do 77-inch at about $3,000, especially with the pricing coming up uh, for Black Friday. There you have it, people. A little too expensive. Damn it. In other TV news, I realized that I was having some problems getting YouTube TV to run on my Roku. And then I discovered that... For about six months now, and I I knew this in the back of my head, but it it never really directly affected me. But for about the last six months now, YouTube and Roku have been kind of fighting. According to an article I read at Ars Technica, they're saying that Google is going to start requiring hardware decoding of their AV1 codec starting in December. Makers of these boxes must now switch over to chips that are capable of that or risk being cut off from the Google goodness in terms of YouTube TV delivery, as well as potentially even YouTube itself. Now, there is a workaround for this right now that you can just simply fire up the YouTube app on Roku and click the YouTube TV link in the bottom left corner. But what a pain in the butt. Here I am in a household with Apple TVs and Fire TVs, Uh, No problem installing all the apps on those devices. But when I went into my office and fired up the Roku, I'm like, hey, why isn't there a YouTube TV here? And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And then I did a little (laughs) digging and discovered, yeah, it it may very well be just simply related to this hardware video codec decoder requirement. We'll see how it goes. I'll be curious to see if this is not settled before December when some of these contracts come up and YouTube itself could maybe disappear if you haven't already installed it. Anyway, it's just (laughs) odd that this dispute has gone on for so long and I'm only experiencing this this weirdness with my Roku. And anyway, woe is me. Boo-hoo. I can still do everything. I will say I do actually like YouTube TV. It works fantastic as a service. I'm not much of a broadcast TV watcher, except for live events, particularly sports, but it it works fine. I I think it's a great TV service. (laughs) I, 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 it was great watching the MLB game on it. Um, My tolerance for commercials 
in television programming is non-existent after however many years it's been since I cut the cord on uh, satellite television. I will say something I found out recently, a friend of mine uh, online recommended a television show and I was like, I'm excited. His television show recommends are so good. And then I realized it was on Hulu and it turns out you can finally do an ad free uh, Hulu subscription, which is I've hated Hulu's because uh, it used to be like, you pay, but you still get ads. And I was like, no. <laughs> so, uh, I was kind of excited about that, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, this stuff's just never going to end. No. <laughs> these, these arguments, these pissing contests. One interesting thing about TV service streamers, at least on YouTube TV right. I've seen, is that, and in particular, I've noticed this with sporting events, when they go to commercial breaks, there is a commercial, but it's just a blank screen or a screen that says, this is a commercial break in progress. <laughs> and that's kind of relaxing. It's just a moment of peace and quiet, but... It's not right. an actual commercial being broadcast. Maybe it has something to do with like national versus regional markets or something like that. I am not the uh, ad expert as to why something would or would not broadcast. But anyway, one advantage <laughs> of streaming your TV might be fewer commercials. Might be. <laughs> might be. Oh my Unless goodness. you have a Roku and you can't get Roku or can't get YouTube TV. <laughs> anyway. Now that you're frustrated by that. No. Um, Didn't take me half a day to figure this out. <laughs> I was having other issues. I'm just going to turn this ship. Something that hasn't changed since 2015, so in approximately six years, which is, you know, forever in audio years, which are like dog years, but longer. Bowers and Wilkins dropped a new Zeppelin. And if you've heard that name with B&W before, you're probably thinking of the original iPod dock that came out in 2007. The last big evolution on this uh, speaker was back in 2015 when they got rid of the iPod dock. Uh, so... B&W is not subtle when they are tooting their horn on this particular product line. Quote, every generation of Zeppelin has been the best sounding device of its era. End quote. And it should be for $800 for a stereo speaker that sits on your desktop or mounts to your wall. Um, they did a bunch of technological updates in this generation. There's no longer an analog audio input. It's all wireless now. They support 24-bit audio. You can run the Bower & Wilkins app. You can use AirPlay 2 with it. Aptex Adaptive Bluetooth, Bluetooth 5.0, SBC, Spotify Connect is built in. They've built in ALEXA for voice control. In 2022, uh, you'll be able to use it as a whole house multi-room uh, system that'll work with some of their other speakers in their lineup, which is great if you're into that thing. Very nice. Yeah, it's not inexpensive. It's about $800 US, $700 in the UK. Just started uh, you know, shipping last week when the embargo on this lifted. Probably not going to add any other voice control systems. Should work with Spotify Hi-Fi doesn't support Title Connect, is not Rune ready, and they don't really expect it to be Rune ready if you're looking for that in your whole home speaker system. They also were a little vague on whether or not they might support Aptex lossless, which I don't think is a big deal because I don't think you're doing a lot of serious uh, lossless listening on this. But again, you know, they do like 24192 at the DAC, but the reality of that is it's like 2496 wireless, which again... I think you're fine with 1644. There you go. It's worth looking at that. And uh, if you care about MQA, this is not the product for you because there's no MQA support. But frankly, I don't see any need for MQA. Your uh, mileage may vary on that. I'm not a huge MQA fan. I just don't hear what they're telling me I should be hearing. I do like the idea that you can do a wall mount version of it now, which is pretty slick. So as always, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous uh, with the big giant 
fabric cover on. It's gorgeous with the big giant fabric cover off. Uh, I think it's a smart design, and I think they do some usually some really good decisions with how uh, they handle the uh, audio playback on that. Uh, you know, the, like essentially the DSB on that is really good. Nice. Oops, go ahead. Uh, Bowers and Wilkins make some of my favorite sounding speakers. They are in the very top in, yeah. in my mind uh, among a very rare, rarefied group, so to speak. And it's like <laughs> if they're putting out a product and it fits my needs, I would give it serious thought. If if those features and built-in functionality are, are appealing to you, I would have no doubt that thing sounds fantastic. I can't wait to actually see one. The Zeppelin comes from that strange shape. It almost looks like a blimp yes. a little bit, doesn't it? It is. Or that it, is the that is totally the original that <laughs> I miss Zeppelins. I want hydrogen-filled Zeppelins flying the air. Uh, anyway, that's because you like there. living with that whole potential falling out of the sky on fire lifestyle. Um, no parametric EQ in this, by the way, but they do have some basic dynamic EQ available inside of that, and uh, it's you know. I, I look forward to hearing it uh, when I get a chance. But I've, I will also say I've, I've never been disappointed in, in the sound of the Zeppelin series. You know, they're spendy, but uh, they're thoughtfully put together. And they usually sound really good. Uh, one more announced the Comfo Buds 2. I'm going to try to get these in along with the Comfo Buds Pro. Uh, I'm kind of putting together a sort of a $100-ish true wireless earbud roundup for my own personal amusements uh, and for the, you know, amusement of everybody listening you know i've got uh, monolith by monoprice's mtwe the true wireless earbuds coming in i've got cambridge audio's new earbuds in i got lucky and got some of the nothing earbuds <laughs> which is a weird name but uh i will say i'm a fan i heard a lot of early reports and connectivity problems with them i have not seen those um i also will say that teenage engineering uh design products bring me a certain level of joy and uh, if my voice sounds funny all of a sudden it's because i'm leaning far over my desktop so robert can see the box i do (laughs) that the nothing earbuds came in they are not nothing (laughs) they are something it's it's the i don't know it's it's interesting to watch uh nothing.tech is the website for that and these are the nothing ear one the naming on that's always weird very cool. Oh, my goodness. Jason emailed question. I keep getting from my friends and family members is what size TV should I get for the bedroom? My go-to response used to be a 32-inch TV. If I say that now, I get a dirty look. I know some have gone as big as 75 inches for the bedroom. To me, that seems way too big and a very quick way to give yourself eye strain. I was thinking of upping my recommendation to either 37 or 43 inches. What would you recommend for a situation like this? I live in Pennsylvania, so the majority of people don't live in houses that have bedrooms that would be considered the size of a suite. Thanks for all that you do. I am glad I can support you through Patreon. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Uh, first up, Jason, thank you for your support on patreon.com slash abxl. As somebody who spent his high school years in Pennsylvania in a uh, house, the oldest portion of which was built around 1766, I feel you on the small bedroom action. <laughs> Things were smaller. Houses were smaller back then. I have a 100-inch projection screen in my home theater, and I'm maybe 10 feet from it when I'm sitting on the couch. So honestly, I'm okay with big screens as long as I'm not tennis matching my head back and forth to watch the action on the screen. I don't know, Rob. I'm thinking 48 inches is a good start these days. That was the last screen size I installed in a bedroom. 
Actually, I think it was yeah. for my mom, uh, and it worked out perfect. The viewing distance, if you were laying in bed, was, I, mm-hmm. I want to say, about 10 feet. So, honestly, it could have been yeah. far larger. I find 55-inch screens are a great generic size, but if you are dealing with a smaller room, 48 yeah. or even a little bit smaller might be the way to go. One benefit of the value-oriented screens, I'm thinking way back. This was a 48-inch, and I believe it was part of like the S3 or mm-hmm. S4 series from TCL, was how lightweight it was and the ability then to mount that on a wall and get it more out of the way, especially if you have a restricted size for the room itself, can help you uh, squeeze in a TV. And if the TV is light enough, you can even use some of these specialty mounts where you can do literally a single arm bracket. Uh, A $20 bracket can hold that TV up effectively. So yeah, consider your mounting options too when looking at these smaller screens. If by simply mounting it on a wall and getting it a little more out of the way can open up the sizes of screens that are usable for that environment, keep that in mind because mounts are very affordable and they're all pretty simple to install and it's something to keep in mind for, I think, any setup. But yeah, I found that 48-inch was just about perfect. Yeah. Maybe, say, about six feet away from the end of the bed if you're laying at the other end or something like that. But again... I am about six feet away from a 55-inch screen I look at all the time, <laughs> and I have no problem with that, but I'm a bit of a weirdo, so there you go. Hey, I mean, honestly, I'd say as big as you can get without the big black rectangle when it's off overwhelming the room. And it's a mighty big rectangle. It is. Uh, I've seen that television in your room. The, uh, you know, I mean, that's the whole reason Samsung has the frame TVs, that whole lineup, uh, which includes the streaming art. So you have this ongoing art display in the room. So, because literally, it, I've I've walked into rooms where it's been this this very kind of white couch, soft walls, lots of light, and then a big black shiny square on one wall can be really disruptive. Those frame TVs, which oddly enough go from 32 inches up to 75 inches, they come with the ability to to subscribe to different collections of art, which can be aesthetically pleasing. Just remember, if you leave that LED on 24-7, it ages it hard. Um, You know, leaving LEDs on 24 hours a day uh, is, is a great way to get three years of life out of a TV instead of like six or seven years of life out of a TV. But, um, you know. People want bigger screens now. It just, you got to embrace the larger screens, Jason. Totally. You can do it. <laughs> and you know what? If, if for the individual it seems too big, then step it down. Yeah. You know, sub 50 inch screen sizes. Right. There's a lot of great affordable options too. This is also one of those things where cutting a rectangle out of cardboard and hanging, you know, holding it up in the room so they can see what it's going to look like from their bed is not a bad idea. Um, Without a doubt, that's a good call, actually. Just some pre-visualization. And remember, too, if the budget calls for it, you can go OLED at 4K at 48 inches if you really want to tease the eyeballs, so to speak. Yeah. I, I mean, are they watching the Weather Channel? In which case, get that right. TCL. Or are Seriously. they watching like serious movies? <laughs> what did I spend on that? Oh, that was okay. That was a long time ago. I bought that. So, but something like that. What's newer? What's yeah. out there today? Twenty twenty one, fifty inch, too big. Forty inch, two twenty nine. Number one bestseller from TCL. What is this? The S series. There we go. Forty inch S series, yeah. two twenty nine has Roku built in. Ugh. Hopefully you get your put YouTube one on TV. every wall. 
Put one in the bathroom. <laughs> put one next to the cat box. Oh, put it in the shower. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, that is unsafe. Do not that, listen to Robert. At that price, how can you not? <laughs> electrocution, Robert. That's how I cannot. Ah. Home television electrocution systems by Robert. Um, <laughs> Damien emailed ask at avxl.com. He had a, a, a bunch of questions uh, we thought would be fun to answer. First up, he says, uh, in a dedicated home theater room, what are some speakers to consider only for home theater? Like Fast Dynamics, SVS, Emotiva, JBL Synthesis. Are those worth it? So I come from the great speakers are great for stereo music and surround sound school of speakers uh, and gaming for that matter. SVS, Emotiva, JBL Synthesis. Absolutely. I'd add Golden Ear, Elac, B&W, Polk, Revell, Kef, Focal, uh, Monoprice's THX series uh, constantly gets raves. I could go on for a while. Uh, all these companies make great speakers at an extraordinary range of prices. Uh, think $200 for a pair of Polk Signature Series. Uh, those are wire cutters picked. Brent Butterworth over at the wire cutter picks those as his favorite entry-level speaker for most people. Uh, $260 a pair for Elac's debut 6.2. That's uh, a speaker my family and I were very happy with, uh, surround sound speakers in our living room for an extended period of time. You can easily pay $25,000, $30,000 or more for some of Ravel's speakers, and you can spend as much money as you want on a set of speakers. I think Magico's M9s are going to sell for just under a million dollars a pair. To put this into context, Magico's A1, which is their entry-level bookshelf speaker, sells for $7,500 or $8,000, and you pay like another seven or $800 if you want uh, the grills for the speakers. So, you know, it's all relative. Like I said, nobody in my family complained when we were running the debut surround sound system. Uh, they're also not complaining about my Golden Ear Triton 2 Pluses that cost nearly 10 times as much. Uh, I also bought those speakers used for less than half of, of what the MSRP or the street sale would have been. Uh, I like the bigger speakers a lot. My wife would like something that disappeared in the bookshelves, but we have worked out a compromise. Got it. Which mostly involves careful couch placements. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, on one hand, I'm going to say worth it because JBL Synthesis, uh, they make some not insanely expensive, but some pricier speakers. Worth it is about what you can hear. You know, Magico speakers are legendary. Uh, are they 40 times better than Polk's entry level speakers? That's harder to quantify. I would start with like Polk and Elac, and you can work your way up. A lot of this, the speaker lines you mentioned, uh, you would have the opportunity to listen to SVS Nemotiva or direct sales, but they both, they both make some very, very good speakers. You know, we've heard a lot of pretty much, you know, I think I've heard everything I've mentioned there. Uh, I have heard everything I've mentioned there, except for maybe JBL synthesis stuff, but uh, go around and, you know, listen if you can. Um, you know, the, Magnolia home theater centers from Best Buy are scattered around the world. You've probably got some good home theater somewhere within a two or three hour drive of your house. Hopefully there's a, a, a an audio shop that does uh, home theater equipment and they'll give you a chance to listen to stuff. But everything you mentioned on that list, I would consider. And again, I really don't separate home theater speakers and stereo speakers. He also asked about using a same speaker type for a left center right channel layout versus a purpose built center channel. He asked, can the same speaker be used uh, for left and right and just be mounted on its side or have better blending quality? I don't understand the fancy center channel designs just for voice. So the horizontal speaker designs are so they fit better under or over your television. 
there might be some frequency response tweaks, but you know, you're right. Center channel is mostly about reproducing the human voice. Um, that's kind of the primary focus is dialogue and trying to get the dialogue as close to the center of the screen as possible. So the horizontal designs are really about making it fit better below or above your television, uh, but still sound as close as possible to the other speakers. If you have the space, yeah, feel free to put a normal speaker under or over your monitor. Just beware that turning it on its side might make for some really weird dispersion issues between the seats on the left and the right. Um, not always, but there's a possibility there. You know, ideally, vertical speakers are used vertically uh, and not horizontally. Your mileage may vary on that, uh, but, you know, you can certainly experiment with that. Are we going to be reviewing the new Sony HCA9 setup? I'm seeing good things. Honestly, uh, no, not at this time. One, uh, I don't have any Sony contacts that would loan that to us, uh, and it's $1,800, so I'm not going to buy it out of pocket. Two, I really think for that kind of money, you should have a center channel. And my understanding is it is a four-speaker setup with a sort of synthesized center channel. And for $1,800, I'd rather have a you know really, really high-quality sound bar or five discrete channels. Third, uh, and probably most important, I've seen a lot of owner reviews online reporting uh, problems with speakers dropping out because it's a completely wireless system. Let's see where it is in a few months and uh, see what they do with that. But right now, I don't really uh, anticipate us reviewing that. Damien also adds, keep up the awesomeness, and I'm going to say thank you. We will do our best. Another question we got was from Bai. He says, what do you all think of the Monoprice M570 headphones? And he include a review to, or in three. Two. We also got an email from Bai who says, what do y'all think of these? And these are Monolith's M570 headphones. He has a link to a review on Wired.com. He says, I've been wanting to try out planar magnetics, but really don't want to spend a ton of money. The 6XX mentioned in the article are my current set. I'm driving them with the Shit Magni slash Modi stack. Thanks. I continue to look forward to each episode. Bye. So the Drop 6XX, uh, Drop.com, is a classic headphone, or, or more accurately, Drop.com's take on Sennheiser's HD650, which is an update to Sennheiser's HD600, which was like, like the, one of the first original, serious, old-school audiophile headphones. They are legend. They are in the Hall of Fame as far as headphones go. The 650, my understanding is the Drop 6XX should sound exactly like Sennheiser's factory HD650. They're just painted different and they have some other bits and pieces changed there. They are what we would call or what I would call detailed with a fairly neutral audio presentation. Neutral as in the highs aren't spiked up, which is another way of describing what a lot of headphone folks on the boards or the forums call the Sennheiser Veiled. Sennheisers are veiled. That's a thing. That was a really big thing, a complaint. And when, when you read on an audio forum that the Sennheiser Veil, it basically means um, I prefer a lot of treble, uh, which I personally find unnaturally exhausting, but some people think means detailed and audiophile-like. Listen to what you like to. Or a sign that you have some hearing loss and you may be yeah. compensating for something. <laughs> You could be. Um, I like neutral headphones, um, you know, but the low end on your 650, uh, those 650s starts to fall off at around 100 hertz. Um, and I actually, these days, much like some other headphones I loved 10 years ago, uh, I find them really weak in the bass compared to more modern headphones. Um, a more modern headphone uh, is fairly flat down to 20 hertz, which is actually much less than the Harman tuning, which boosts the bass up by about five decibels at 20 hertz to make the cans uh, sound more like speakers in a room. That's kind of the point of the Harman curve. Uh, they're idealized tuning for headphones. 
M570 should sound really fun. Not as much bass as the Harman Curve, but way more bass than your headphones or older planar magnetics. Uh, they should be fairly solid or neutral down to 50 hertz, and they drop a little bit down to between 50 and 20 hertz, about 5 dB, which is not much. So unless you live for the low C on a piano or B flat on a contrabass tuba, you'll be fine. I don't know if they'd be my first choice for your introduction to planar magnetics. They're very, very good, right? But they're heavy. They're like... 200, uh, 420 grams, which is 14.8 ounces, which is the better part of a pound. Um, I'm a big fan, honestly, of Monoprice's M565C. They are closed back. They cost 175 bucks from Monoprice, uh, and they're a little more practical because they're closed back, and they are way less expensive uh, than my personal favorite planar magnetics right now, which is Dan Clark Audio's various Aeon flavors. The 565C are actually a little lighter than the M570, uh, an ounce, but I think the ounce counts, uh, and they're going to have much more bass down to 20 hertz. I would say that's a really great, affordable way to get into planar magnetics. Another one to look at, but it's even heavier, uh, is Monoprice's 1060. They sell for about 270 bucks. Uh, again, relatively flat, based down to 20 hertz. Uh, they are open back. They will give you the full, whole, open planar magnetic soundstage experience and all the detail. Um, fair warning, uh, I'll say it again, they are 500 grams. It's 1.1 pounds, which uh, depending on your head and your neck is, is going to be brutal or whatever. Uh, I would say even for my bison-like neck, that's a bit on the heavy side. Again, I'd say try the 565C, Dan Clark's ANRT, or a really fun headphone. Not as neutral, uh, but some nice bass in those. Those are $500. Dan Clark's Aeon 2 is like serious audiophile territory, but those are $900 a pair, and you uh, you said you didn't want to spend a fortune. So I got to say, I'm, I'm a really huge fan of the 565C. I'd love a little bit more bass on them, but... They have so much more bass than planar magnetics five years ago. Uh, I'm not going to complain. So hopefully that helps out a little bit. Very cool. And hopefully I didn't put anybody to sleep. <laughs> hey now. Oh my goodness. Quick subwoofer update. Uh, shoe, everything is in stock at uh, Shoe Research. Monoprice has everything in stock, but they're giant dual 15-inch subwoofer that is far too heavy uh, and far too big for most people's houses. Uh, their new 16-inch uh, subwoofer is shipping as of today. I'm actually very excited. I have that new 13-inch subwoofer that goes down to like 16 hertz in for review. So my family is going to be freaking out the next time we watch a, an action movie. Oops. Very cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited about that. Uh, probably way more excited than I need to be, but uh, I do like the thump when I'm watching movies. RSL's uh, Speedwoofer 10S is out of stock. You can sign up for sort of a pre-order notification. I don't think they're going to have any more subwoofers for a while, but if you've been thinking about them, get your email address over to them. And SVS, pretty much everything is in stock, though I think the Ash Finish is out of stock on the SVS SB3000. So if you've been waiting for a subwoofer, if it's not an RSL Speedwoofer, it's a good time to be shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike earlier this year when everything was out of stock, except for SBS. No kidding. <laughs> ah, before we get out of here, I wanted to mention that this weekend, Formula One, the ultimate in vehicle racing, well, in my humble opinion, is coming to the Circuit of the <laughs> Americas racetrack in Austin, Texas this weekend. So if you're into motorsports, let's see if the beloved Austin track actually can uh, accommodate F1 without bumping him around too much. 
supposedly there's some problems with the track since it's been installed back in, what was it, 2012? It's developing some bumps along some of the straightaways and other portions of the track. Hopefully that won't affect things too much and they'll be able to smooth that out, so to speak. That sounds terrifying at the speeds they're moving at. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Who wants that kind of rumble or or on something (laughs) where you're expecting it not to be that way? Maybe it would affect motorcycle racing more. I'm not sure. But either way. Right. It's always a good time. I believe the event is sold out, but they always seem to somehow manage to come up with about 50 or 60,000 extra seats at the last minute. So I would plan if you're going anywhere near Austin, Texas this weekend is to expect some big crowds. And uh, if you're heading out to the track, take some form of public transit because parking is going to be a nightmare. And beyond that, I'm uh, <laughs> calibrating a brand new JVC projector. I'm looking forward to that. That's always just a a beautiful, eye-pleasing experience. And I'm going to dig a little bit into if I was going to add virtual reality, in particular a headset to my PC, what would it be? And I've got a -hmm. a short list of things I want to consider. See if I can take my Microsoft Flight Simulator to the next level. (laughs) Oh, man. I think there's probably one option there. Maybe. I'm eyeballing the Steam product right now. Really? That seems to be the one folks like the most. But we'll see. I'm in no hurry on that. That would be the Valve Index, by the way. The Valve Index is on the list of things to be considered, along with a couple other good... I mean, it's really like the Valve Index or the Oculus Quest 2, right? I believe so. I will be doing more research on this. (laughs) I can think of a couple of PC titles I wouldn't mind seeing in actual VR, and I mentioned one of them already, one being flight simulator just to see how well it's integrated and if it's usable right. that's uh, but i i don't want to make a four-figure investment in this technology and then find it's just going to sit in the corner and collect dust so i am uh yeah i'm taking my time on that one i am still in love with my 1440p monitor that can go 144 hertz plus i tried overclocking it up to 170 hertz And I found that Mm -hmm. Windows was doing some odd things regarding monitor identification for some reason whenever I took it above 144. But, eh, 144, a solid 144 is really, really nice, either for desktop work or for gaming or whatever. If you can push those pixels that fast, it sure looks fluid. Keeps me happy. I just want to say uh, the uh, 4K UHD version of The Wizard of Oz is amazing. It's really gorgeous, and it's uh, on sale for like 20 bucks now in most places, uh, which is significantly less than I paid for it when it was out new. I bring that up because my youngest had never actually seen The Wizard of Oz. We've been listening to the audiobook, and I really like the movie better than the audiobook, which is not something I say a lot. Also, uh, we mentioned it being kind of an HDR treat, but Foundation on uh, Apple TV Plus is gorgeous. It is really, really gorgeous. Nice. And it really... I think it's a healthy, delightful HDR experience. We mentioned it earlier. Uh, if you got a question for us, email ask at avxl.com or you can tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton or at avxl if you want to hashtag pound, excuse me, hashtag AskAVXL works just fine. Uh, and we want to give another shout out to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly contributions make this show possible. They, you pay us. And uh, and uh, we appreciate that. We do, we do. And our next patron hangout for $10 and $20 patrons is Thursday, November 28th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. So keep an eye on your inbox, and we will see you there. And 
based on our last survey, we will be uh, doing Zoom for that Hangout. And, uh, and we'll be trying something else for the Hangout after that. But we'll talk about that at patreon.com slash avxl. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.